Welcome to the Holistic Wellness and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Ann Marsden. And with me today is Glenn Mavor. Glenn has been very kind to offer to give us an insight look at his life from childhood trauma to current day. And he shares with us his insights on how he overcame bouts with depression, anxiety, relationship challenges, physical illnesses, and how he discovered holistic medicine, energy medicine, and other types of healing that have transformed his life. So sit back, get ready for some raw, real storytelling with Glenn Mavor. Here we go. Hello and welcome to today's show. Today we are blessed to have Glenn Mavor with us. He is a former corporate IT specialist who's transformed into an energy healer, astrologer, and writer. So thank you so much, Glenn, for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yes. I'm on your podcast. And I'm sure this is going to be a lot of fun. So let's just dive right in. So today, what I wanted to do is talk with you about your journey, because I know that you've had an incredible journey from childhood to now, like most people have. And I think that people will find it very inspiring to see how you have really transformed your life. So why don't we start back in the beginning, as all good stories do, once upon a time, Mm -hmm. to start us back in the beginning, if you would be so kind. Yes, way back when. Back in the early 60s, Um, (laughs) I I was born in 61, and the this is what I remember. I remember uh, actually being like two years old, and my parents going to Europe, and I was staying with my aunt, and I don't know how in the world I can remember that, that I was such a young kid, and I can actually remember little pieces of memory of being in a crib and stuff. And maybe some of that has come back from the journey I've taken, but um, I just think that's kind of remarkable that I can remember back that far. But what I remember the most about my childhood was that I had this great boldness and courage and brashness about living that I had friends that I liked that we would go outside and we'd go into nature and we'd dig up worms and we play with insects and, you know, go down to the Creek and splash the water and, you know, just rejoice for hours on end, just hanging outside. And, but then that all changed. And when I was four, well, maybe I was, when I was three, my dad left our family because he was he had a he was having an affair with somebody else so he didn't like having a family at that point and he was doing well on his business and doing whatever it was he was doing Uh, but he was to me like the my idol and the person i wanted to be the most like so when he left i i was I didn't, I don't think I even really knew that he left. I just thought he was 
going away and then he was coming back because he would show up every once in a while and he'd always have a new car. And back then it was, uh, it was a Mustang. They were brand new, like in 64. Uh, or then he'd come back with a, he was driving a GTO, you know, Pontiac, something, you know, some crazy new thing. Or then he came back with a Cadillac once. And I was like, what in the world? This is so amazing. He's coming back with all these cars. And I was really big into cars. And so I still was thinking, you know, look at life. It's got all these amazing things, these amazing shiny things. And my dad is this amazing person that has, you know, is going off and doing these great adventures or something. Well, one day, uh, for I don't know how, why or how this was this came up, but he was at our house and um, his the person he was having an affair with, his mistress, showed up on a Vespa. And I didn't know who she was, but she showed up at our house on this Vespa. And I was like, oh, look at that cool motor scooter, you know? And I, and she's like, do you want to ride on it? And I said, like, yeah. So I jumped on this motor scooter. And I remember I was filled with this freedom and this joy of riding on this motor scooter around the neighborhood. She was just taking me on this trip. And it was, our neighborhood was on this big hill. So we were going down these big hills and going back up. And it was just like, I was on a roller coaster ride. And I thought, uh, you know, this is the best life anyone could ever have. That was the feeling I was feeling. And then when I came home and I came off the bike, then all my memory disappears. And it just turns into this feeling of despair that I had done something wrong, that everyone's disappointed and, um, this wasn't a good thing at all. <laughs> and that's, you know, that was the, the awareness that I got that there was something wrong with what, what was happening here. And of course, now I know it was the mistress came and I'm riding on the scooter at the mistress. And my mom was like, what the hell are you doing? Letting your mistress come over here with, with your kids. Are you a complete idiot? What are you doing? You know? Mm-hmm. And that transferred over to me. So I, carried that responsibility or at least I thought I was responsible for that taking place for that energy that was taking place and that created a pattern in me that flowed through most of my life which was my coming up to the highest point of feeling the greatest joy always being followed by falling off a cliff or in, into this place of you're not so great. You're, 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 you're not, you're not all the hot crap you think you are. Um, I don't, I, sorry. I, I, I would have said the S word, but I don't know. You probably have to bleep it. So, <laughs> um, but that's, that's how I experienced it. And uh, later in later years, I, when I went to therapy, it came out. I didn't realize it played out that way, that I had all this sensory experience. And then coming off this, after that, I, I became this black hole from the highest joy to the lowest low. And so when I experienced things that were really great, it was always followed by this low. 
And this happened through my life to, to the point where I thought, you know, there was something wrong with me that, uh, I was not lovable. I'm not a lovable person. And <clears throat> I had to mitigate that by, uh, trying to assess the landscape of everyone and everything before me and before I could get to it, I had to know what was going to happen. And uh, I'm not sure that probably happens to a lot of people, you know, because you want to know what's next because then you can control, you know, or you can control your own emotions or you control the situation. You can manipulate things. Um, and one of the things that did happen to me was I realized, well, you can't really do that if you don't know anything yet. So as a kid, you kind of just avoid things. Because uh, the more I stepped into something, the more this pattern kept happening. So like uh, not soon after, not long after that happened, uh, my dad came over and I got a bike and I learned how to ride a bike. So I rode this bike and it was like the most fantastic experience I had riding around the neighborhood. It was like the scooter is like, wow, this is amazing. I'm riding around the neighborhood and I'm free. And some kid on the other side of the uh, neighborhood from me gave me this firework, this firecracker. It was a sparkler or something. And I was like, well, I don't, I was like, I don't want this. He says, no, I want you to have it. I'm like, I don't even know who you are, but it's like the universe is saying, no, I want you to have this because I'm going to teach you a lesson. Oh, so I took this thing and I drove to the bottom of the street and there was a bunch of other kids there and they said, Hey, what do you got there? I said, oh, I don't know. This kid gave me this, I don't know, fireworks. I don't know. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. Can we have it? And I said, yeah, you can have it. I don't want it. I'm riding my bike. So they light it on fire and it starts doing stuff. And I'm like, Oh, okay, well, that's cool. But I don't care about that. I'm riding my bike. So I'm, I come back around to that neighborhood again and his sister's there. And she says, where's that fireworks? I want, we want that back. And I said, I, I don't have it. I gave it away. And she said, well, it wasn't yours to give away. And I said, well, I didn't want it in the first place. And she's like, you know, I'm going to scratch your eyes out if you don't give me that thing back. Whoa. And I'm three years old, she's bigger. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, in, I just, this paralyzing fear came over me. And it was repeating that same pattern of, I'm on the highest high, and now I'm now it's not just um, lowest low, but I'm filled with this uh, fear of what's going to happen next. I think I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, but as a kid, you think this person could scratch my eyes out. You know, that's what she told me. So why should I believe anything different? Uh, so, and so that sort of reinforced that feeling after that. So at, so if we if I fast forward out of that um, into uh, going to school, uh, school at first wasn't so bad because I I started meeting other kids and I lived in Virginia at the time, which had you know it was a kind of a typical United States place you know it's got seasons and winter has snow and things like that you can go sledding in the winter and summers are hot <clears throat> and midway through my mom said she had enough of my dad and said we're gonna we're gonna get out of here away from this guy he's nuts 
So we moved to Arizona. Well, Arizona is completely different type of place. It's desert and it's sunny all the time and super hot in the summer. Like you don't go outside. You're just in air conditioned places. And that was really, um, I was really put off by that. I didn't fit well into that scenario. And when we changed schools from the East Coast to the West, they taught things differently. You know, so I went to school and instead of learning Dick and Jane, which is what they did back then, was the way they taught you how to read and write. They were teaching phonics, you know, phonetically speaking. Interesting. And I didn't understand that at all. I was coming midway through and everyone knew what we were doing. And the teacher was not interested in the fact that I didn't know. And it reminds me, I took this test where you had to fill in the the blanks of these sentences with words and they you have to, you know, had a list of them on the side and you match them into the, and uh, <clears throat> there was this one that said, um, my blank is a skunk or something like that. And I put, or no, I said, my mother is a blank. And one of the words was skunk. So I put skunk in from <laughs> <laughs> my mother's a skunk. And oh, no. <laughs> that, that ended up being a, uh, a, a teacher's conference for my mom, you know, like oh. the teacher thinks that there's something wrong with me. You know, I, I have some mental disability because <laughs> I wrote my mother as a skunk, you know, uh, instead of understanding that maybe the child was a little disturbed uh, in the, about yeah. being moved across the country to a totally uh, different environment, which is completely typical. Yeah. And, and so my mother, my mom had to instruct the teacher, you know, that's what, is going on here because my teacher was she was probably 22 or something like that so she was pretty young and just thought what a dumb kid and uh and it was the 60s 60s too you know so the thinking was different you know kids fit into a mold mm-hmm. you know if and if they're not fitting into that mold there's something wrong with them you know and we have to make them fit it's probably still a little like that but not like it was back then uh so uh, I had to contend with that because now I now I'm thinking I'm stupid, you know, because I can't do math and I can't do the this phonics thing. The math they were teaching math and I was having problems with that in in second grade, uh, as I remember. It seems it seemed like everything I stepped into every every time I went to school, it felt like something scary was going to happen. And eventually, I just made sure that. This is, this is where I started to learn that I, if I read ahead and I really spent a lot of time doing well in school, that I would feel more comfortable, that I would have, a, I would have an advantage to knowing what was going to happen next. And school was always the same. You know, they always taught you something and then they tested you and they taught you something and tested you. And I said, well, I'm just going to make sure I get these tests right. So. Um, that probably helped you feel like life was a little more predictable and safe yeah. because you knew what was going to happen and you knew that it was going to be okay because you were hedging your bets by learning stuff ahead. That's right. That's right. So you made your way through school. You figured out how to, to do all that. And as you got through school, how did things go as far as you said you were avoiding relationships and then Mm -hmm. you were in Arizona for a while 
got yourself through school, out of high school, and then comes college, and what happens there? Yeah, so I went through the the whole school experience uh, that you basically are mandated to do. And it was at some point, it's actually in high school, I think I was 15 or 16, that, um, you know, I had some friends up to that point, but I couldn't be friends with everyone. I just could be friends with certain people that I, you know, that allowed me to hide myself well. <laughs> and, but it, there was this one point in high school when they all disappeared. Like they all, you know, how you change friends. And yeah. to me, that was a big deal. It's like, you know, I'm totally unlikable now because I don't even have any evidence that anyone likes me. And I remember going outside at, during, in the middle of the day, during classes, I was supposed to be in class, but I just went outside the building. And of course it was a sunny day because it was Arizona. But as I was looking outside, everything turned black to me. It just went black. It was kind of like reliving that same original moment. Mm -hmm. I could just see the whole, this blackness coming over the sky. And, and I hated being in Arizona at that point. I was like, it's not even a blue sky anymore. Now it's just black. It was the shadow, this shadow of me that's overtaking me. You know, this has to be, you can't deny it anymore. You can't just live in this narrow beam of light and try to, to live your life anymore. But to me, it was like this great depression. Mm -hmm. And I, I was, I was becoming depressed. I think it was a sophomore, junior. And I met up with an old friend. It was odd, but I met up with an old friend from elementary school that had moved away and he came back. And he was the perfect friend because he didn't know anybody because he just moved back into this high school. And the fact that we knew each other, it was helped. It helped me. It was like, oh, good. I can connect with somebody. And I connected with him. And then he connected me, connected me with a, um, a guy that was in his 20s that was doing drugs. And he would have these big parties. And he'd invite people. You know, this is back. I when was this, Six, uh, 70 something, 74? There was a big thing about citizen band radio back then, CB radio. And they used to have songs about CB radios and movies. And uh, so this guy was connecting with people on the CB radio and inviting him over to his house to do drugs, you know, amyl nitrate or uh, just smoking marijuana or drinking. <laughs> so we went, would go over to this guy's house and he'd have, you know, the cheap, cheap champagne and uh, marijuana and sniffing amyl nitrate. And he'd be hanging out with all these high school kids, giving them whatever they wanted because he just wanted to party. He was uh, working for Motorola as an engineer. And I just thought, well, this is the weirdest thing. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why is this happening? But oddly enough, um, one night when I went over there, I smoked some sort of laced marijuana and took this amyl nitrate and my brain just went, it just kind of exploded. And uh, my, it, I was, I had been in such an anxious state 
that it actually opened everything up. I don't know how much was damaged, but a lot of things sort of opened up. That shadow was free. And I suddenly was, uh, I had, I couldn't be anxious. I remember I would, I would go to high, to school and I'd just be sitting there. I'd be like one of the, um, the, the people I made fun of that were kind of stoners. They're just kind of hanging out and they're just like in the back of the room kind of going <laughs> with this weird, like Beavis and Butthead giggle. <laughs> you know, I became like that. I was like, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, and I thought I was broken because I had no anxiety because I had been in this anxious state for, since I, I was a little kid that every time I went to school, I had to be in this anxious state waiting for the next shoe to drop. So that was uh, weird because it, it, instead of being depressed, I, I opened up to new things. I started getting new friends all of a sudden that were also into drugs. <laughs> um, but uh, I, because, because I felt like it broke me, I didn't want to, I stopped doing them. I stopped drinking. And I stopped doing the drugs because I thought I need to be my anxious self. And also around that time, my dad had come to his own realization about his own damaging uh, behavior towards his own family members. And he went to something called Erhard Seminar Training. And then he wanted everyone in our family to do it. And it was called EST. That was the term. And back then, it was sort of the onset of the me generation. It was about you being the creator of your life. And it was this two-weekend thing where you would, the first weekend, they would tell you what an asshole you were. And to stop telling your old story, no one wanted to hear it. Stop blaming everyone else about your life. And they just kind of broke you down and to tell you at the end of the first weekend that you completely knew nothing about anything. And then the second weekend, they told you that here's what's really true. You're the creator of your life. And you don't need to believe things. You don't need to understand things. You need to just be things. You need to be who you are. You need to create who you are and be present. That was a revelation to me at 17. And it actually, the first weekend was easy for me because I already knew I didn't know anything. <laughs> I'd already gone through that whole drug experience. And I was like, I had no clue who the hell I was or what I was doing and why we were doing, why, what am I doing in school? Why do I'm learning this stuff? I don't even care anymore. Well, you so, were already beating yourself up. It sounds like you were really good yeah. at that. You didn't need anybody else to do it. But the thing I want to go back to that you've mentioned sure. several times is the connection, the need for connection, the desire for connection and how important it was and how anxiety provoking it was to not have it. And then yeah, having it in whatever form, whether it be healthy connections or not, was so critical because it is for us. As so We're social beings too. And when we forget that, that's really problematic. And I just wanted to go back and point that out because you started to feel better also with making connections of some sort, you know, yeah. we all need humans and then you can decide, okay, I have these connections and then you can go to the next step to, are these healthy for me or not? That's right. But I, I, um, I think it, the story is fascinating as far as the family retreat that you're talking about. I had not heard of something like that. I think that's Fabulous. Unfortunate that they took the 
break you down a hard approach for the first weekend, but it sounds like the second second weekend was something that uh, really tra- helped with some transformation. So let's go back to that to that point if you want to continue from there. Sure. Uh, well, it was there was a lot of uh, techniques they used that were interesting, and I think the idea was I mean it was the seventies, so there was still. It's not like it, it's not, wasn't like the 90s or the way it is now. There was the soft approach. Everyone thought the hard approach was the way to go and, and speed, you know, that had to be done quickly. So if you're going to do it quickly, you better break everyone down quickly in the first weekend. And yeah. Uh, but they had techniques of uh, meditation and visualization of creating a, a new place for you to go and experiment with ways of being and ways of doing things and the way you can connect with people. And I remember thinking what great freedom I had that I could go in to this visualization into this new, and I could make this own, this all new building and I could go in there and it was spacious and there was lots of different places I could go. It was like, it opened up possibilities for me that I hadn't seen before. And at the end of that, and I met somebody, I met a guy in it that was, he was fascinated by my transformation because I kept talking about, wow, this is so amazing that I'm the creator of my life and uh, it all makes so much sense to me. And I don't even think about the old story of who I am because I, I hated that story. <laughs> I'm, I like this idea that I'm the creator, that I am responsible for my life. And I can set goals and watch them come true. And it was, it was true. I, I wrote down all the stuff that I wanted to do and wanted to be. And it did all come true down the road. But uh, this, this guy was, I made this friend, you know, was an, uh, an adult guy. And um, it, was, it was like, I never been friends with somebody that was mature like that before. You know, that seemed to care about what was going on with me. It was another awesome experience about that. Uh, so, but going forth after that, I was, when I went back to, I was still in high school at the time. Uh, then it was just like doors really opened up because I opened up. Because now I wasn't scared of talking to people and going up to people and saying stuff. In fact, I was starting to, I became really inappropriate about about sexual things and stuff that I hadn't, you know, I would never dare speak about before. And people are like telling me to shut up, you know, you can't talk about that. Like, okay, (laughs) all right. Uh, But I was like, there's no limits though. You can talk about this stuff. Why are we not talking about sex and about body parts and things? What's the problem? So, you know, I kind of went way in the other end of the spectrum so then when i went to college i was i was pretty obnoxious about you know speaking my mind uh about whatever you know uh i remember it was very early when i was in college oh and i had the same experience in college too with friends because i had i went to college totally in a different state i went to san antonio texas uh, trinity university and I was there for the first week and I 
you know, met my roommates and went to freshman mixers. They had those back then. Uh, and I was going to go out with all my roommates and my friends to go out on the party scene. And somewhere along the line, I lost contact with them this one night. And I thought, where did everyone go? Where are my friends? And I, 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 I suddenly felt this great weight of, oh, here we go again. I lost all my friends and they're gone and they don't care. And I remember I went under a tree and I sat under a tree and I started crying, you know, because this is the way my life works or whatever it was I was thinking at the time. And, but, but I guess what happened was, cause I let the feelings come out. I let myself be sad about it. I was like, I just, I can't do it anymore. And I started feeling sad about it. And I said, I guess the hell with it. I'm going to go back to my room. So I went back to my room and everyone was there in my room, everybody, everybody that I was looking for. And there was like eight people and more were sitting in my room. And I thought, I was amazed. It was, and this is like the first evidence that the, in a way, as far as relationships were concerned, that the universe was conspiring for me, not against me. That I, you know, that I would be, I would have relationships and I would have close friends. And I, I knew it right at that moment when I look at it now. And at that moment, I knew I was going to be okay in college with friends. I think the beautiful thing you did, though, Glenn, which a lot of us struggle with, is you allowed the emotion to come rather than numbing yourself from it, self-medicating. I mean, a lot of college students at that point would have been like, oh, screw it. I'm going to go out and get drunk and just gone out and <laughs> gone to the party and gotten drunk or high and, and then avoided things you know, that way. So I think it's a beautiful story. And it also reminds us that we have to be open to allow the universe to flow and to work. And you opened yourself, you opened yourself to the emotion and allowed that to flow through you. And then sure enough, continue on. There was a party going on in your room and then what? <laughs> well, that was, I mean, that just was the, uh, the crowning achievement. I mean, it's funny. I don't think I would have been as vulnerable had I not done that S training and I hadn't been, you know, had expanded my mind to some degree and then come to this place, which was all for me, it was about expanding my mind, you know, expanding my possibilities to do whatever. I mean, I went there, I went to college to, to be in broadcasting and film, you know, cause I'd always thought I wanted to do something in TV or with films. That was my thing. I thought, you know, um, but look what happened, Glenn. The universe used your dad who had left yeah. and created a lot of chaos in your life to bring you one of the biggest gifts mm -hmm. that you had to date at that point, which was that retreat and that whole experience of learning how to see the world in a new way. And I think that is absolutely fascinating. And I think that happens in our lives all the time, you know, but we don't recognize it. And I think that that's a, an incredibly beautiful story that your dad was actually the one that brought you to the place that you learned the skills that are in this story at this point that you're telling us of your life, enabling you to see the synchronicities in the universe and, 
and meet with these friends in your room and see life in a new way. What a beautiful, beautiful story. It really changed. Yeah, it really changed me. Um, I had, and I, I still think I still had that, that pattern was still there. I just didn't realize how patterns worked at the time, but um, cause I'd always wanted things to stay kind of uh, mundane, uh, at least relationship wise. Having friends was fine. Anything past that was, I didn't, you know, I wasn't prepared for anything like that, or I, I, at least I didn't want that. When I went to college, I wanted to work on things. I wanted to do stuff. You know, I wanted to be something in particular, uh, you know, somebody in the industry that was uh, creating things. And being with all these friends of mine, they were all creative people too. They all were creating, they were artists and wanted to do film and stuff like that. That's who I was hooked up with. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, they, the funny thing is, is I thought after taking that S training that I had some sort of special knowledge in how the, how things worked, you know? So I was always um, speaking my truth, I guess, of, of what I knew to be my truth at the time. Uh, but I found, uh, I found that I could be, other people were softer and knew more than I did about <laughs> life and about living, about relationships. And I thought it was all like a black and white thing. You know, mm. you, you met somebody and you, and you liked them. And so you got together. But that never really, and that's the way I saw it, but I never worked that way for me. I, if I, what I wanted to do in college was I wanted to learn and be this great paragon of whatever it was I wanted to be. Uh, and, and then, uh, but not have a distraction, a distracting relationship like that. I just want to hang out with my friends and tell jokes. That was, you know, when I'm not in school, that's what I'm doing. But uh, inevitably, uh, that, you know, life throws you opportunities. I met this uh, girl who I really liked, but she didn't have any concept that I liked her or probably didn't feel the same way. But it consumed me that this, this was something that I, you know, like I said before, I had avoided relationships. I didn't want people to, because that would mean I'd have to really open up and really show uh, how I feel about things, about my heart wanting to be involved with something and how can you be you know how can you be a creator of of beauty if you're not willing to open yourself up and i think that's what was happening to me but it was debilitating <laughs> to to say the least to be in that state because it just consumed me and i did actually i remember i did drink some i would go out and just drink alone you know because i thought oh this will help me and and it didn't um, I was like, I, I can't stop the feelings. And so my response to that was to, um, I, I think what I did is I wrote a letter that, you know, one of those letters that declares your love and you put it all in words. Yeah. I put it all in words and it's not like, the, it's not like the words I do now, you know, maybe it is, I don't know. It was just very flowery and filled with drama and all the stuff I didn't like, I put in a letter 
And it was really embarrassing. But I, so I sent it anyway, because that's the way I don't know what it is about me. But uh, back then, but uh, it was like, this is really saying too much, but I'm going to send it anyway. <laughs> so I did. And uh, I don't know, I think she was very confused by it. And, and then it happened again with another woman later, because I said, well, I'm not doing that again. And then it happened again, at, like at the end of school, at the, when I was graduating. And uh, I'm kind of focusing on these two things, but they are very short lived things, but they just consumed all of my emotions. And there was something in me that really wanted to be taking out farther. It wasn't just about me being uh, somebody that worked at something or did something. There was something more. Uh, there was love that needed to be answered for, for me. Sounds like you were looking for that connection again. That connection piece keeps coming back. And yeah. I th- it sounds like you were now yeah. saying, okay, well, I am comfortable with this level of connection. Let's try and go to the next level and, and see where where that goes. But it was another step in, in trying to figure out how to be more vulnerable. It's kind of like you're trying to step up, but you're trying to really un- unpeel as well. It's like you're trying to open as you're advancing. Yes. And I kind of put myself out there and my friends saw me being this way, you know, just very awkward about trying to make a, um, some sort of a romantic connection. Um, but they didn't judge me really for it. Beautiful. I just judged myself. I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and, you know, as time, you know, time lets things pass through. Eventually it doesn't overwhelm you and you can go back to the way you were <laughs> um, in college. Like I said, I wanted to be in broadcasting film and create something. And I became disillusioned by two things. One that because the way they did registration, I could never get classes in the, where I wanted to major. So I had to take other courses until I could take them. And I took computer courses, which computers were kind of new. And it was interesting to me. Computers are so easy. Ah, you can go in there and type whatever you want and make this thing do these mundane things or interesting things or whatever. And it was like miraculous to me that I could totally manipulate this machine to do whatever I want. That's the world I want. So (laughs) that's kind of what happened was I started doing more computer classes. And so when I graduated college with my broadcast and film degree, uh, I ended up working for a TV show called The Personal Computer Show. And I thought, well, this is perfect. It mixes mixes broadcasting and uh, computers together. But I was so shy that the the two producers thought that I wasn't any good mm-hmm. until the very end when they had me edit something and I was editing all this, re-editing all the stuff they had done. And they were so impressed. They were like, you're really good, but we had no idea. You never told us. You never said anything to us because I was kind of, you know, thought they were going to tell me something and they thought I was going to show them something. That's the way of the world for me. Uh, but at the end, I got all this great feedback, but I took another job that led me into my computer career. Uh, started working for a company that basically wanted you to work all the time. 
to me, that was perfect. I was like, well, that fits me to a T. That way I can avoid having any relationships with anybody because I have this excuse of working mm-hmm. and something that I can lose myself in. And I became a workaholic and I burned out several times. The first times I burned out, I didn't realize I was burning out. But uh, uh, when I, I finally burned out, I was starting to have physical disabilities, uh, mostly in digestion and diet. I was uh, addicted to Burger King for a short time. But you can't really be addicted to fast food for too long. It just doesn't work. I'm that guy that did that show about supersize um, me. Super, yeah, yeah. Um, I was that guy. I was the. I did it before he did. I just didn't record it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, I would be leveled over at my house, uh, leaning over a chair because my my heartburn was so bad, and it started me on a a progression of learning about medicine, about conventional medicine, about how conventional medicine didn't work for me. Because I would go to a doctor and I'd say, I have this problem. And he's like, you know, just take Tums or whatever, um, Maalox, whatever. Uh, I was like, well, this isn't, this isn't helping. So I went to another doctor. She said, um, I'll do, she was, she was going to do tests. So she got all the, all the results came back that there's no problem. There's no, nothing wrong with me. And uh, I remember I went to lunch one day and I ate fried chicken and it totally, and I, you know, I'm still dumb, you know, cause no one's saying that fried food is bad for you or I'm sort of hearing it at that time, but I, I ate it. I thought it just seems very nebulous fried chicken. So I called them up and the doctor wouldn't even talk to me. Her partner talked to me and said, you know, well, it's sort of like the old joke. Um, Doctor hurts when I do this. And she said, don't do that. (laughs) And uh, then one day somebody had worked with at a previous company said, I was in Sacramento at the time. And he said, hey, why don't you come to Portland? We're starting this Fred Meyer retail company is changing their systems and they need some people that could use your experience your expertise i'm like okay so i went up there and the interview was interesting because it wasn't so much the interview that was interesting to me but portland was portland had seasons it was i came in april and there was the sun was out and it was raining at the same time and i thought this is the most interesting place i've ever <laughs> been it can rain and be sunny at the same time for a lot long periods of time this is perfect for me. It has everything going on at once. You know, it just felt like I was uh, in the right living space finally. And, and uh, so I took the job and I moved up to Portland and I've been here ever since um, enjoying the humongous trees and the green space and the fresh air because it's raining every other week and the air is f- nice and fresh all the time, even with all the cars driving around. Um, it clears it all out. And that was the first time I made a decision, at least at this point, uh, since I had been working in IT for all this time, to for myself, for my own health, for my own being. And 
I just want to stop you there for one second, Glenn, because I think that's a great point that you made the choice about your own health. And I think one of the important things is that we have to take responsibility for our own health. And you tried to go to the doctor and so often, and obviously doctors, there's a place for doctors as well. But what we need to realize is doctors are a complement to our, our care. They're not completely responsible for it. We are, we're responsible for our own care. Yeah. You know, and I always say you get where you go. So what most people don't realize is when you go to a traditional MD, um, and they don't have very much education in nutrition. A lot of schools have one class, um, if even, and they don't have the money, much education or any in the impact of spirituality. Um, all these things that we know from, from the research actually impacts health. What they do have a tremendous amount of education in is pharmacology because the pharmaceutical companies pay for and sponsor the education. So that's what a lot of their curriculum is. So they are experts at pharmacology and inter interactions of medica of medications, et cetera. So, and there's a place for that, but it's important that we understand that when we go to a surgeon, most likely they're going to prescribe surgery. And even saying that there are exceptions to that. I did meet a surgeon who said, agreed with me and said, you know what, let's try and rehab first. We tried the rehab, didn't work, then went to surgery. So there are, even in that domain, there are doctors who have some understanding of other things. Um, but we really want to be, at the end of the day, we each have to be responsible for our own health care rather than putting it in the hands of, of somebody else. So even when it comes to decisions of what we eat, what we, where we live, like you're talking about where you choose to live, it's important that we take that responsibility. And like you did, that here's this point in your life where you're saying, I'm now going to be responsible for myself. I've tried to get some help from somebody, didn't feel too helpful. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to go try this other thing where I live somewhere else. And this feels better. And let's see what happens now that you're in the place that feels better for you as far as environment. Yeah. Take it from there. Okay. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to say too, I strongly endorse and agree with everything you just said. <laughs> One of the things about Portland is had a strong uh, alternative offerings. It's for, big on integrative medicine. I know because I've researched it recently yeah. for my son. So yeah. they're one of the few places that has a collaborative, a big collaborative integrative yeah. medicine uh, colloquium, we'll just say, where people from all different kinds of areas, acupuncture, basically Eastern and Western medicine, work together for the client's best good. And yeah. that's, that to me is just, that's the best thing you could ask is to have people working together in the best interest of a patient. But even in those scenarios, I'm going to repeat myself because I really feel it's that important at the end of the day, even in that scenario where you have a whole team, the person that's responsible is ourself. Right. We still have to, at the end of the day, our decisions are our decisions. Our karma is our karma. And part of our responsibility is going to find the people that are going to be able to give us the information we need to make the decision. So exactly. I'm not saying we make the decision without information. We definitely make sure we know who we're getting the information from. And so 
I'm fascinated to hear now that you were in this lovely land of Portland, integrative land, which I, I, since I did research it, I was like, like, wow, I wish I had that where I live, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think uh, in 92, it still wasn't, you know, in the integrative idea, there was still a sort of a schism. Yeah. Uh, not like it is. It's not like that today. I don't think as much. Um, like you said, it's, the idea that there's somebody that there, you can say, you can look for something that, and it says it's integrative is amazing. Uh, I don't think the term was there in 92 yet, but what occurred for me was, and the universe is always giving me these uh, opportunities, these options. And I, because I chose me and I moved up to Portland, and I'm not sure I still even knew that I was responsible for my own health. Because, you know, I was conditioned, like everyone, mm -hmm. that there's someone over there that's going to fix you. You know, I still was in that mode. Even though I was making decisions for me and I was the creator of my world, I still thought I was creating this world where someone else would fix me. <laughs> so. Well, we call them experts, right? Isn't that what we do? Yeah. We call people experts and then we give away our power without that's meaning right. to. Without meaning to. We say, oh, well, they're the experts. So how could I make a decision, you know, on their, something that they're experts about. I'm not the expert, but we are, we're the own, we're our own experts in what is best for us. Yes, it's true. I just kept learning that more and more living in port. When I came to Portland, uh, the other thing I did was there was two things I did. One was I, I said, I can't just do computers anymore. I have to do something else. And I saw an ad when they did back when they did classified ads in those free papers, somebody was teaching voice lessons. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to do that. Cause that's, I had never even thought about doing that. I, I sang an eighth grade choir. That's about as the extent of my music experience. But I thought, well, this will be interesting. Let's see if they can teach me how to sing, or let's see if I can do something different with my life, you know, something different. So I went and took voice lessons. You know, if you work at it, you can sing. At least I could sing, but it took, you know, it required me to practice a lot and a, a teacher that wanted to push you out there, which she did. She pushed me out into recitals and she pushed me into theater. And I did theater for like three or four years, which is, and, and the whole time I just thought I was, uh, uh, I didn't belong there. I just thought, well, this is just something I do on the side. And, and that being these theater shows, all these people are like, actors and singers. And I just thought of myself as this sideshow. And, and when I think about it now, no, I was a singer and an actor like they were too. Uh, the, the second thing was, aside from the voice lessons and doing all that, was uh, the person I they sat me next to uh, said, because I was telling him that I was having problems digesting food. And he said, you need to see my, my guy. I'm like, what do you mean? What's I have already been to doctors. He said, no, this guy does clinical kinesiology and Chinese medicine and um, homeopathics. I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so he said, well, you got to get an appointment with him and go. And I said, okay. So uh, I went to this guy, this amazing guy who had all his ideas about Western medicine. Let me tell you, he would sit on the table. He was a chiropractor that didn't crack anything. He didn't do that. 
he just, you lay down on the table and he would uh, just, you just put your arm up and they test your arm mm-hmm. for the arm strength. And he had a way he did it, but he would put his fingers in different parts of my body and tell me to close my eyes and open my eyes. Like the way he said, it, a diagnostic opening. So he could connect with me and find out what's going on with me. When he did that, he would give me some Chinese medicine to help with the digestion. And, you know, I was having these miraculous changes, you know, it's like, I, you know, I can go out and eat something now because I was really having problems just eating anything. And then he would, it turned, it went into farther that he started to say, well, you should look into uh, changing your routines, uh, simple things, you know, like the way you drive home, don't go the same way all the time. Cause I always decided, you know, I'm just going to take the fastest way home all the time. He said, well, go like take the long way, you know, I'm like, but why would I do that? You know, that doesn't make sense. You know, but I can relate so, to that. I, I can relate to that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I need to have everything done fast and efficient in the way I've always done it, you know, but he's saying, no, you here's do something, do something different. Try something different. It doesn't have to, you don't have to jump out of a plane. You just change up routines a little bit and see what happens. And uh, my mind started to explode. Really? I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but I started to see things from a new perspective. It's like my vibration was rising and I became insatiable for wanting to know more about why this was happening. It was a, this was just like another awakening in my life that, <clears throat> that there was more out there than just this 3D world, that there is another layers. There's layers and layers of dimensions. And I wanted to explore more of that. Even while I was still doing IT, it be, IT became less interesting to me. And I started to, um, I started to branch out. I was having relationships with, with friends and stuff that I never would have had been friends with. You know, I just like, I was open to anyone and everything. Uh, and I started taking flight lessons. I was flying planes for a little while. I mean, it's just, trying different stuff. I said, I can do, I can do whatever I want. I'm just going to go out there and do whatever I want. Uh, and then this guy, this friend of mine, he invited me on a ski trip. Well, I hadn't really been working out at the time. And I went on the ski trip. And of course I broke my leg on the ski trip. Oh. I, I it totally smashed the, my, you know, the knee bent on from the top leg to the bottom leg and it smashed. Oh. The and at the, you know, I was flying way high like i was flying way high i really probably wasn't very grounded you know i was kind of like i can do anything that invincible type of feeling and so this led into this new adventure of i have to go back to western medicine you know because i basically said i never have to go back to that again but here i destroyed my leg and broken bone needs some help (laughs) uh so so i went to the surgeon and when i came out the other side after the operation all that i was i just felt like i was a different person i wasn't that open person anymore i sort of like back to the way i i had been i felt like i went through um a time machine and i was back to being that conditioned self where uh i i couldn't i couldn't be open and couldn't be in all these things and i my mind wasn't exploding anymore it was kind of a drag (laughs) to to gone back to the other side so um, it triggered that 
pattern of going from joy to darkness, joy to darkness. It did. It really did. Yeah. I have a lot of that going on. Um, But as, as uh, uh, time went on, I, I, instead of, because my leg wasn't really working, I, you know, to do lots of different things like skiing, I went into, I started to learn uh, hypnotherapy. So I learned hypnotherapy. I became a certified hypnotherapist. And I thought, well, I'll do that. But it was hard to start a business and work in IT. Anyway, so, but I was looking, I, I was looking at maybe getting out of IT, working in psychology or uh, being a social worker. Because I, after, after that, I broke my leg and I started kind of getting depressed. My doctor suggested I go see a social worker, licensed clinical social worker. Mm-hmm. I saw her for six or seven years. And I had... It, it sort of re- it, it, it took me out of the idea of um, the exploding brain and took me into the patterns, into the healing, into mm-hmm. opening the gates of shadows where I had to actually confront the fear of what these, these events that happened in my life were about. Um, more than what they're about, how, how I was how they ran my life rather than me being the creator of my life. The, I was letting the patterns decide for me. And I didn't even know it. Which is really amazing. Cause like you said before, you had this pivotal moment when you were 17, where you were like, Oh, I can create what I want. Even knowing that it shows you how hard the work right. is to figure out where we're being drawn to and what really are we creating? Even when we know we're creating it, we still, sometimes don't realize our own role in it and it's, and it's hard to straighten it out. So you went through all that. And then at some point you did find someone that you wanted to spend time with. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, it was really at the end of my therapy experience that someone came into my life that I didn't have I would say I didn't have strong feelings about, uh, but to me that was that was like a, a triumph <laughs> that I wasn't having this this attraction that was overwhelming me that I could be with this person and have a good time with this person and maybe I could develop a relationship with this person and as long as we are communicating we can make beautiful music, you know? And that was my idea when I got involved with somebody to get married, you know, I proposed, we got married and I thought this was going, this relationship was going to, was going to be my crowning achievement. I was going to break all my patterns and all the shadow work that I can make, can go through with a relationship and, and communicating these things with another person that wants to do that. I thought, I am the luckiest person alive. But then once we were married, it all changed. And we were, it wasn't like that at all. The, lots of shadow things showed up, but it had nothing to do with uh, communicating. It was the opposite. We didn't communicate at all. And she didn't want to communicate about anything. And it was extremely disheartening. And I remember being filled with resentment and anger about how can you do this to me? How can you be this 
person that wanted to communicate with me and now doesn't even like me. He doesn't even want to talk to me. That's how my soon into the marriage, that's how it worked. And I thought, this is really how it's, this is, this is the lesson I'm going <laughs> to, come on. But it was, it was a lesson I had to learn, which was not, you can't control. It's, it was basically the serenity prayer coming out. It's like, you can't control other people. And I'm not going to be the one that tries to control it. I can't be that. I can only control what I can control for myself. And so even though I was married, I was still alone, basically. I mean, my son was there, and but he was, uh, that was another thing was I was a step-parent. And being a step-parent means, I don't know if there's step-parents listening, but if you're a step-parent, you don't have any say. You know, it's all governed by the biological parent. If they will let you have say, they will. But if they say no, then you're you're out here. So I had to I had to be in that space too. I had to be okay with that place. I wasn't at first, but as time went by and I realized she was the queen of that, she was gonna, you know, be in charge of that, then you know, I had to step back. Uh, the only times I came into situations with my son is when things went in crisis. And then she would pull me back in and say, you've got to help with this. And I'm like, okay. Uh, but a lot of my time in marriage was to step back when I was being insulted or there was condescending talk taking place. I just, instead of engaging in it and trying to modify it, I just had to withdraw from it. It's the only it seemed to be the only thing I could do because I had to take, I had to, I had to save myself, save my being. Well, it and sounds like what, you were yeah. learning though. It sounds like you were learning to, to let somebody else keep their stuff yes. and you only take responsibility for what's yours. What's hers I, is hers. What's yours is yours. And that's such a key lesson in marriages that is very hard for people to get because you know, we oftentimes end up reacting to what's going on with the other person. And then we have to own our own reaction because that's ours. What's theirs yeah. is theirs. What's ours is ours. Instead of blaming, oh, I'm reacting because of what you did. No, you're reacting because of what's going on within you. And yes. giving yourself the space enabled you to own what was, you know, let her have hers and you have yours. So it's right. amazing, though, the thread through this conversation we're having of just how much work has shown up for you regarding relationships. Yeah. Of all kinds and all the different ways that you're work, work, working, working on relationships in so many different, it's showing up in so many different ways, which is just fascinating. And the courage you've had to just keep trying different things and being open to not giving up on yourself and on the fact that you want to connect with other people. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, the marriage ends and then where where are you at that point at the at the end of the marriage well I, right before i guess about 3 years before i decided to separate um, i had been part of the part of my separation from her and my accepting of myself or trying to make myself feel good about myself was to start working out. And I started working out a lot. 2010, um, I got a personal trainer and then I became friends with the personal trainer. And then I 
basically was working out like six times a week. This friend of mine introduced me to a nutritionist who is an intuitive nutritionist. And what I learned from this nutrition exercise, the, the sessions that I was having, was it started off just being about my food and what foods I was allergic to. And then it turned into that there was a dream that I was supposed to be living. And when I accepted that dream, then these things that were problems with my health would be, would go away. You know, they wouldn't be an issue anymore because I'd be accepting why I was here. Wow. And this was coming out of nutrition sessions, you know, and I thought, well, this isn't what I, I didn't sign up for that. I just wanted to know what to eat and what not to eat or what, how to get healthy and just give me some supplements or something, you know? Um, but no, she said um, that I had to be, at, I think it was like 2015. I'd been seeing her for a year or so. And she said in the session, she said, well, you're going to have to be willing to end your marriage. You have to be willing to be, to end your marriage in order to move forward. And, uh, and this is I a was, nutritionist. This is, yes, this is, this is a nutritionist. And she was very hesitant to say, she was like, I don't know how to say this. I don't want to say this, but she's connecting with guides. Um, it, it's amazing that you find these people. Can I just tell you that? <laughs> I, I think you clearly have, you know, some divine intervention that you go to find yes. out what should I eat? What should I not eat? And then this person takes you on a totally different journey way beyond anything to do with food. Exactly. And you know what I, I was talking about before about, you know, changing my habits and uh, alternative medicine and putting hands through walls and stuff like that. I had abandoned all that and the past life thing that happened, uh, all that stuff. I just, I didn't want to worry about. I wanted to live small. I wanted to live mundane. <laughs> and then, and that's in my marriage. When I, three months before I got married, uh, I turned 40. On the day I turned 40, that's when all the planes flew into the buildings in New York. That Your was birthday 9/11. is 9-11. 9-11. 9-11. Okay. And that, that I was knowing that I was going to get married changed my whole perspective really on life was to hunker down and, you know, be, be safe and protect. I need to protect my family. I became kind of that person and maybe that kind of uh created the the whole dynamic with my wife uh possibly you know because i kind of contracted you know a little bit after that happened um sounds like a turtle going in its shell yeah kind of yeah it kind of went to hide in your shell fearful yeah yeah so but like you said this was divine intervention this person came along to say you know you know you can't be the person in the shell that's not why you're here to be, you know, sitting inside that thing and living in your little world that you're all happy in. Um, there's a lot more <laughs> adventure out there. You can't just uh, be sitting around watching things. You have to be part of it. But you weren't happy in that world, right? Like that, even though you were in protected, you still weren't happy in that world. Were you or were you? 
In you mean in the, the spiritual world? No, when you went into the shell and oh yeah. No, well I I thought like I was happy. I mm. was I was just kind of happy uh because I knew what I knew up to that point and I thought I knew everything I needed to know. You know how you were talking about we were ta- I don't know if this was, we recorded it, but you said there's a finish line, you're crossing the finish line and yeah. you're good. And so that's why I felt like I went through therapy and I did all these things and I crossed the finish line. So I'm good. You know, I've, I've got it all figured out now, you know, I can create my world. I can communicate. I can make everything work in my life and, and I can do it under this umbrella of, you know, just having a, a relationship, a close relationship with somebody. And it didn't work that way. So marriage was supposed to be the finish line and you were done and you'd learn yes. your lessons and now you'd mastered relationship. And then you find right. out that, that there's it's always not. more to learn, right? There is no finish yeah. line. That's what we, you and I were talking about before, which I think um, we didn't actually record. So I'll say it now, which is that there really is no finish line in life. A lot of times we think that we can climb to the top of the mountain and be done. Yeah. And you realize that life isn't like that. You climb to the top of the mountain and then you have to come down and then you go up again and you go down. It's like a wave. It's frequency yeah. when you look at waves and that's what life is energy and energy continues. It, it transforms. Right. It's constantly changing. So, right. you know, and I understand, you know, being an athlete, I always thought there was a finish line. You touch the wall, yeah. you're done. No. And that's, I think a big thing for a lot of people to realize you don't, it's not like you, there is no end point. There is no end point. Even death isn't an end point. And once you wrap your head around that, it really changes the perspective of everything. So now you have this, another incredible human that steps in and says, you need, oh, you thought you were done. You thought that marriage was going to bring you the end, the finish line. And they say, by the way, you need to stop that. You need to end that and start something new. How terrifying was that? Yeah. Oh, it was, wow. That was quite terrifying because I thought I'd reached this equilibrium point and now it's saying, well, you have to be willing to split up with this person. And I'd finally got it to a sort of a compromised position where I could live the life, you know, solitarily, solitarily while still married. And uh, so I, but I, everything had worked up to that point. So I said, well, I'm going to have to embrace that somehow. Um, and so what I did was I did think about it a lot, told people about it that were close to me. And that, that was the way I could kind of try to embrace the idea at this point. So thinking about leaving her was all right, but I just, the whole idea of splitting was like this, situation a condition in my head that i had to break it wasn't so much the breaking from the marriage but the idea that you don't end you don't quit on something that that idea had been my one of those mottos with the way it worked it was you know if you, you come across a problem there's always a solution you can always solve it that's how i always did my it work could always find a way with computers to make something work and with my marriage i felt like well i came to this place where it works for me <laughs> you know um but it but it's holding me back that's what the what she was telling me in this session was 
this is holding you back. You have to be willing to move forward, to open up, to live this dream by breaking away from this relationship that doesn't work for you, that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't expand. Doesn't support you, doesn't bring out the highest right. form of it's, you. Did she know what the dream was or did you know what the dream was or just no, what, there's more for was, you? It's just yeah, there's more was, for you and this isn't it, buddy. Yeah. Well, she. this is so funny because she said, because uh, she literally said, um, in order to get better, do you have to follow your dream? And I said, okay, what does that mean? And she's like, well, that's up to you. And I'm like, it's up to me. <laughs> Are you talking about what I dreamed the other night? Uh, you know, or what is that? So it's like really nebulous. Wow. And uh, when I, you know, if I looked at it in 2017, when I separated from my wife, which I finally did, and that's what I'm supposed to be talking about now, but what, when I moved out, I started thinking about the dream, the dream. Yes, there's a dream, the dream, but I had no, I really had no idea what that, what that was still. I just knew there was a dream. And I was hearing things in my head that, that there's this greatness for you. There's this greatness for you. I'm like, this greatness, but what is that greatness? Well, we can't tell you that. <laughs> you got to work for it. You got to earn it. <laughs> it's right. It's really, and for me, and I don't know if this is true for everyone, but um, the things that I ended up getting into, like Oracle cards and um, past life regressions and things like that, the message was always the same for me, which is you had to embrace the mystery of life. We're, we're not going to give it to you ahead of time. You're going to learn about the mystery and just walk into it and then be surprised by what unfolds. This is, this is your dream. This is part of your dream. Which is, is true because I probably said it wrong. It really isn't work or earn. It's really open to and become. It's really almost yeah. like a going back because I shouldn't, you do have to work in the sense of do your own personal work, but really the better, better verbiage is probably to say that you need to open to the possibilities. Yes. Which is what it sounded like, which is what it sounds like you began to do was say, okay, I'm going to be open to the possibilities and see what happens because all these interesting things keep popping up in my, in my life. So at that point, that's when Oracle cards came in, or is that what you were just saying? Is that the Oracle yeah, cards came in? Yeah, there was, or? I was, I was sort of like what you just said, since I made that move and I, the day I split up with my wife and I told her was the just hugely, just this huge dramatic ball of sadness and endings, you know, where you let go of something. This is like the huge, like a huge uh, mooring grief. line. Grief. Yeah. Yes. Huge grief. Um, it all came out and I let it come out. And after that, I started to uh, be open to all these things. I had been listening to Hay House Radio for a while and uh, Matt Kahn and Abraham Hicks. Mm -hmm. And I was very attracted to all those things. And it led me to do some things that actually my intuitive nutritionist had been using called ask and receive, which is a way to acclimate yourself by through affirmation to clearing allergies and things. And they were connected to something called healing from the body level up, which is out there. Uh, the doc, uh, the doctor's name is Dr. Judith Swack. And it's a, 
she had created this process of clear of pulling out energy, transmuting it, and then reintegrating it within your body. It felt like, wow, hey, I really did something. How did that happen? The, there really is something more than what you don't thing you sense. There's energy out there. There's there's a uh, multi dimensions. There's other levels of density. And that was playing with all of this. And I was open to it. I was willing to go into it. And the next thing that occurred after that uh, was a class called Empower the Empath from Dougal Fraser. And he talked about how you could protect your energy by seeing yourself as like being inside a plastic water bottle. And you could just open the lid or close it. And that was super helpful. And then I could see where if I was just walking by people, how their energy was affecting me. Because I would walk by somebody and start to get angry or feel weird. And I realized that wasn't me. That's something coming from someone else. And I, I was able to start to create that boundary, you know, be rec recognizing it rather than having to escape and be shielded in a room physically separated. I could walk around and be protected and be with people. And so that changed another thing. And then the next thing was Oracle School with Colette Baron-Reed, which was, if, if, you've, if you've ever been through that, it's all about what you were talking about before, about becoming. And you're using Oracle cards, which are so brilliant. They're brilliant in the way they're written. They, she channeled these messages on these cards. And they just, uh, when you pull, the, you pull the cards, you're connecting to something divine and the card is giving you a translation of the, how your energy is unfolding um, about walking into mystery or that you need to be more receptive. You need to surrender. You need to embrace the serenity prayer. You know, bad things happen to teach you a lesson and they're ultimately not bad. Nothing's bad. It's all designed to point you in the right direction. There's, these are just signposts, these things that you thought, were wrong because you had these expectations of how things are supposed to be. You were conditioned to think things work out a certain way. And when you go through Oracle school, Oracle school, the possibilities open up because you start to take the meanings off of these events. And on people, you start, you start to strip away the judgments that you've had on people on how they look or and how they act that, and then, after Oracle School, I did a mastermind and I met these other people that were like me working on their intentions and things to, you know, move forward in life and to let go of things. And we all helped each other do that. We grouped into eight people per group and we all meditated on each other's intentions. Very beautiful. How powerful was that? Uh, that was that was incredible. and. I could remember I would put my intentions out there and I'd say like six months later, I could see, Oh, they all sort of came true. <laughs> they all, I became more and more of who I really was. Um, I could look in the back, back at that time and think, wow, I wasn't, I was only a fraction of who I am now. Only a fraction of who I allowed myself to be and allowed people to see of me. 
but those these being with these people helped me. And that's also like I met one of the people that I connected with in there started doing the was doing the work with Gene Hayner and the clear home, clear heart, energy clearing, which is, you know, just bringing taking the blocks away so that you can feel the energy, the chi flow through your body again. And to also clear the energy that's not doesn't belong to you that's been invading your space. So I, that was a person there that she sort of took me under her wing and uh, helped me personally. And that's when I moved into astrology with uh, Deborah Silverman's applied astrology, which is a practical approach. It did interview because I wasn't sure I really was interested in astrology. I just thought, well, it's probably good to know because I'd learned more about how I'm structured, how I'm built, Mm -hmm. what, you know, there's lots more to know. So why not try and find out? And that gave me the permission to, you know, talk like I talk, you know, to (laughs) to let the air come out and just keep talking and talking and talking Uh, because there's so much, there's lots of the air element in my chart. And that's all about, you know, communication and writing and talking too. But I'm also a Virgo, so I'm, you know, and I'm attempting to make this more efficient and more organized as I speak. And, and uh, judging yourself at the same time, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> uh, if you're a Virgo, uh, that's that's like the low end of the, the low, the very low end of the Virgo is you'll never, you're never enough and you're never doing it right. Yes, my rising yeah. sign, I'm well familiar. Venus sits there and so does Pluto. <laughs> Well, it's amazing how simple, simple the it is to at the root of things. If you can just concentrate on those, uh, the contradiction of you're not enough and say, I am enough. How empowering that is just to say that to yourself. To say I am beautiful, to say I am loved. These are the things I had to learn to do. Because even though I had been through all these amazing experiences and the divine had come to me and offered me opportunities, you know, sometimes I just, I did, I did not avail myself of a lot of those because I didn't think I was lovable or I didn't think I was enough or I I was deserving of these opportunities. What I'm hearing though, is you got to the point where you were open to the possibilities and that then you started to explore all these different modalities and at the end of the day, it sounds like all of those added up to helping you understand yourself and love yourself in a way that you never knew right. before. Exactly. I think maybe astrology was one of the best because it kind of got down into the, the nitty gritty of she likes to teach the elements as the basic foundation. And there you find the permissions of who you are. And if you had the permission to be that way, then suddenly there's nothing to complain or uh, to self-judge about. It's like, well, I am supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to be someone that talks a lot or is kind of heady about stuff. Um, But also to know when you give yourself permission to be the way you are, that's the, when you become able to love yourself and to know that you are lovable. But you have to love yourself first. That's what opens yourself up to being lovable. Uh, 
being that small self that I was sort of, you know, just a, being a small piece of a big pie um, kept me away from that. We all are deserving of that love and we're all deserving of our greatness. Our uniqueness is our greatness, is our gift that we offer. And that's what I was learning through this process. It took, uh, as soon as I separated from my wife, it, it seemed like it all sort of went crazy and started filling me up that way. And it's been like that ever since. And I've been transforming since that time to being the person I am now where, you know, I, one of the things I did when I started Oracle school is we had to post, you know, about our experiences. And I, I'd been writing poems to my friend before just funny poems. But in this, I, I could see, I could write a poem about what's going on with me that encapsulates the place where I want to be the the um, the point where divinity and I meet and we become one and then we become two again where I am the instrument of a higher me where I am the energy is flowing through me to walk into the mystery and just be authentic and be myself and speak the truth about what's going on with me in a loving and caring and compassionate way. Which is absolutely beautiful. But I want to go back to what you said before, because I think you said something that was absolutely critical, which is our uniqueness is our greatness. Yes. And I think that is so beautifully well said that you embraced your uniqueness and in that found your greatness, which is, you know, connect, which you're continuing to describe as connecting to the divine and being love realizing you're lovable, but being, you know, it's that sense of oneness yeah, and that uniqueness enabled you to connect more fully and, and more beautifully. I mean, this whole story is about your, your road to connection and relationships and look, as we're getting to where the end, where you're transforming to the current day, it's about ultimately your relationship with the creator and with yourself and creating that bond that never was inseparable, but felt like it was. Right. Yes. But isn't that life? I mean, isn't that life? I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, what I say is I, the only thing that mattered was being able to give and receive love. You know, it really boils down to that, to that such simple, you know, and to me, God source creator, whatever you call it is love. And it's, you know, it's really, your story is so inspiring because it's that transformation to, to love, you know, to love yourself and to connect to, to the creator in a way that honors you and all those that meet you. Yes. And now I know that you, that you were just mentioning there is how you express yourself through, through poetry. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about that, how that's now become part of the new you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, I like what you just said about um, you came to that idea that it's just giving and receiving love, yeah. ultimately, and the thoughts are playtime, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, to me, that's what to me that's what life is at this point. It's there really isn't a lot of importance in it. There's a lot of living. Living is we came we came to experience something here. 
something that we can choose to be amazing if we let it. And to be stuck in the thoughts uh, can hold, well, it can hold, it holds me back if I get stuck in the, all the thoughts, because I have lots and lots of thoughts. And if you're an air person, you have lots and lots of thoughts. As you know, I am. So I can yeah. completely relate to what you're saying. Yeah. It's a whole other life. My thoughts have their own life. I always yeah. say that when you have a lot of air, there's a whole other life going on inside your head as well as with your yeah. body. And, so, but, oh, yeah, but that's kind of the, I think that's part of the lesson for the air person is to, to learn to turn the head off so that you mm-hmm. can connect to the heart and then bring the head back into it. You know, don't let the head lead uh, everything. Let the heart be, be part of the process. And that's where poetry came in for me is I could play. It was a way to play with words where I could speak something loving, but I could do it in a way that sung or um, was different, that was like a rhythm, had a rhythm to it, rather than just throwing stuff straight on the page that just flat out said, I am this and I am that. I just wasn't enough for me. I had the poetry really, I could, if I was rhyming things, it was, it was making a song, you know, and that I could talk about my experience with this rhythm. And I thought, Oh, isn't this great. And then of course my Virgo, this part of me that thinks of that, it has to be, you know, you have to make it better. (laughs) Yeah. It wants to go edit everything. But I've learned over time that part of this is uh, the it's coming from a higher place and I'm just letting myself be an instrument to put the words down and not judge them so much. So like when we write together, when we get together and we write and we get a prompt, I just want to sit with that energy. What is this question asking me? You know, like what does the mystery mean to you? And then let that float inside my body and just, let the words start to come the way they want to come, but singing, singing it, (laughs) but, you know, have some sort of a, it wants to have a rhythm when it comes out. So that's how the poetry sort of came about was I want, I want something gentler and loving and um, something that I like, something that makes my body feel energized when I put it out there. Uh, more than just writing flat out my journal of this is what's going on with me today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. I mean, there's nothing, there's some, certainly nothing wrong with that. Just wasn't, I just wanted something more. It know? wasn't your, it wasn't the thing that filled you up. Right. And, that, yeah. and I am familiar with your poetry and definitely going to ask you to give us the link. Cause I know you post stuff. I think it's on Instagram and yeah. other places. We definitely want to make that available to people because your poetry is absolutely incredible. It is definitely um, channeled there. It definitely has a very divine quality to it. It's amazing. And it's, it's inspiring. It's transformative in and of itself. Just reading it is, is an experience, literally just reading it is an experience for the reader, for the reader as person that's read it. (laughs) It is an experience for the reader, very beautiful experience, powerful. Yeah. That being said. So at this point in your life, you've managed to take all of those early experiences and embrace them and use them 
to open to the possibilities of who you're meant to be. And I thank you for sharing all that because it's really, it's really an incredible story. And it takes a lot of bravery and courage to be so raw and open with people about, about life and the things that you've experienced. So one of the things I think I'd like to do now, Glenn, is since you are clearly very wise, is have you give us some sparks of wisdom based off of your journey and your transformation so that we can leave people with some things to think about. Sparks of wisdom. Oh, 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 oh. Sparks of wisdom. Oh, 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 oh. Glenn, I know you've given us so many insights and it may be a little challenging to distill it down to a couple sparks of wisdom, but I'm going to give you that challenge today. (laughs) I know you're a wordsmith, so if you would be so kind as to give us a few sparks of wisdom based off our incredible conversation today, please. The state of my well-being is where everything erupts from, where everything comes from. The circumstances that surround me, that reflect back to me, are just a re- just the the result of my state of my well-being. So, with every storm, with every drama that whatever comes into my life, I want to maintain that place of well-being. That know that I know that I'm directed and protected. I'm safe. That I'm enough. That I'm loved and lovable, that I love myself, that I'm an ever-changing being. And so if I'm an ever-changing being, then I'm going to see that reflected outside of me. And when I know that I'm an ever-changing being, I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm at home with who I am. Then everything is beauty. Everything that comes in and reflects back to me in my life is a gift, is a signpost to the direction I need to take. The action I need to take will come to me if I'm willing to just let it come rather than trying to lean into things, lean back and let it come to me. Know that I have support and I'm not alone. And in that, comes the well-being. And in the well-being, it's like being in the eye of any storm for me. So that's that's my main words of main spark of wisdom is knowing that you're always protected and directed. And if you can be in that place, if you be connected and aligned with that notion, you're always in a state of well-being. Whatever comes, you can respond to it. You don't have to react. You can respond. You can be responsible. It's amazing to be in that place and to see when we talk about sparks of wisdom, the sparks of life come up around you and in you and outside of you. It's amazing to see. It's amazing to witness. Beautifully said. Thank you. Glenn, I really appreciate all your candor today, as well as your insights 
and openness. And I really want to thank you for all of that. And at this point, I think it would be really helpful for people to understand if they're looking to make changes and transform their lives, for them to understand how to reach out to you and how you can assist them on their journeys. Sure. Well, right now, the services that I offer, the paid services that I offer, are uh, Reiki attunements. Um, and it's not to learn Reiki, but attunements for healing and um, responding to anything that may be happening in your life, some question that you have or some issues that you're having. Could be with relationships. Um, and it could be, could be relationships with anything, not just people. And if you want to get a hold of me, I have a website that is that I'm publishing soon. It's sort of in transition because I am adding new things. But on the website, uh, the website name is glennmavor.com. So you can go to that and see the website. If you want to contact me directly, you can just send an email to gmavor at yahoo.com. And we can set up an appointment that way as well. And that'll all be in the show notes that you don't have to memorize it. (laughs) Yeah. It'll all be in the show notes with a link to your site. And also I do, I do astrology readings. I can also do those too. So if you want, if you're interested in astrology. Yeah. And there's lots of other things. So basically people should go check out your website because you're constantly uh, transforming and changing yeah. and adding There's more, more to come, more yeah. to come. We have some five element coaching that I'm getting certified in, uh, energy clearing of the, uh, Eastern Chinese variety and also, uh, orary astrology, which is about answering questions that you have about, uh, getting in relationships with people, relationships with business investments, um, those kinds of things. I'm, I'm currently working on that. So I can't really offer that yet because I'm still learning it, but there you go. So I know you also work with Oracle cards. You do a lot with Oracle cards as well. True. True. So you are all things transformational and relationship oriented. So those are great pieces. And I know, like you were saying, you do a lot with the astrology, the Oracle readings. But the other thing is that no matter what services people are providing, who they are is very important. And having a compassionate heart and an authentic person, you offer that. That's not something that (laughs) is easy to to, um, always know. But working with Glenn, I have no doubt will be powerful for anyone just because he comes with as someone that has done a lot of his own work and is really there for clients that he works with to be, to serve their highest good, because that's what he's been working on for so long for himself. So that enables him to be there for others in a beautiful way. So Glenn, I think what I'd like to do to end today's show, if you would be so willing, you mentioned earlier that you wrote a poem today. You got to understand Glenn writes poetry that's not only incredibly beautiful, but he does it in short bursts. So in a matter of 10 minutes, Glenn can churn out something incredible. And it's hard to imagine he does it in 10 minutes, but that's a process that Glenn and I both do where we use a prompt Mm -hmm. and we 
write for 10 minutes. I do not write poetry. I have no clue how to do that. (laughs) But so we write for 10 minutes and it's really a way of connecting with the innate intelligence within us. And Glenn does it in very powerful ways. So since you chose to write today, I'm so honored that you did that for all of us. If you could just let us know what prompt you chose or made up and then read us your poem, I would greatly appreciate it. Okay. Nice surprise. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I thought, uh, I thought you might like it. Uh, so the prompt that I came up with was, how do I explain my journey and who I am now? The end is the beginning. Each moment, the spinning of my new vibration, the libation of living, caring and giving, has me receive so much from loved ones I did not know I had, and more are coming. The dam broke when I saw my heart mend from the withholding of joy that I kept hidden. My name was never written. Now it's on the shout, the mosaic tile with new grout upon this inner renovation where I lost the pout to letting the living be. Prisoners set me free as I can see how systems harden and make us flee. From the entrance to what is me, Unmuted passion now crashes in. I am both fat and thin, learning what I've become and becoming ever more than that. Thank you for helping unlock the gates, the ones I use to think infuriate. Drama has no place in this ever winning race. Where I only need respond alive, just thrive knowing divinity takes every step with me and shines golden in the highlands of thee, where all that has taken place occurred now and forever. Life is soft as a feather, landing on the tip of my nose as never before. That's how life goes. And that is a beautiful poem about how life goes. And if you'd be so kind, if you will send that to me, I will put that in on, up on the website so people can reread it and kind of take it in and process it at their own leisure. And that was also a wonderful prompt. And I just want to say with the prompt, that's a great question for people to look at for themselves. And so we'll put that too also on the website. And it's really great, the whole process of writing and taking the time to look inwards. And it's like a looking in and connecting up at the same time. It's very powerful. And taking that time helps you to reconnect and connect to your power and your essence as well as to the creator. So thank you so much, Glenn, for sharing mm-hmm. that with us today. Yes, the power of creation. The yes. Greatest mender of them all. Yes. Yes. True healing. True, true healing. And I hope that those of you listening have experienced some healing today, or at least some ideas of how to move you forward in your own transformational journey in life. Because as we mentioned, there's always more to embrace about ourselves. There's always more love to receive, more love to give. So as always, be you, be love, and be present.